0: in the spring of 2008 a group of canadian counselors supervised a team building weekend for teenage girls in british columbia one of the counselors was a woman named mary brown
1: after the girls got settled mary led them to the water and showed them how to dig for clams then she and a few counselors took their boat out to fetch the crab traps they dropped into the bay
0: but as she pulled up one of the traps Mary had the eerie sense that she was being watched. She felt a tingle on the back of her neck, and a few seconds later, her friend shouted, Look!
1: Look! Mary scanned the shoreline. There, perched on a rock, was a large animal, unlike anything she'd ever seen. It was an ape with long, pendulous arms covered in shaggy brown fur. To Mary... It looked like Chewbacca from Star
0: Wars, and it was big, at least eight feet tall. After watching the humans in the boat for several moments, the creatures stood up on two legs and walked back into the forest. Remembering the children, the counselors then cranked the boat's engine and sped back to warn the others. Luckily, the young campers were unharmed. Mary breathed a sigh of relief and ushered them back to their cabins.
1: That night, as the day's excitement wound down, the younger girls retreated to their bunk beds while Mary and her fellow counselors made dinner. As they were in the kitchen, suddenly they heard a rustle in the bushes outside.
0: Mary recalled a foul, filthy stench as she heard something crawl underneath the cabin. Frightened, The counselors rushed to join the campers in their bunks. With bated breath, they listened as the animals scratched at the floorboards. It was trying to get in.
1: Welcome to Conspiracy Theories, a Spotify original from Parcast.
0: it's not you can find episodes of conspiracy theories and all other spotify originals from Parcast for free on spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts
1: this is our first episode on bigfoot a mysterious north american ape that has captivated nature enthusiasts and conspiracy theorists alike for more than half a century despite a lot of first-hand accounts no one has been able to prove conclusively that any of these creatures exist.
0: This episode, we'll examine how Bigfoot transformed from a prehistoric myth into America's most legendary wild animal. We'll explore some of the most famous Bigfoot stories and several convincing hoaxes.
1: Next time, we'll pick apart the evidence to try and decide if Bigfoot is actually mankind's forgotten cousin. We'll also look into whether these beings could actually be alien visitors and if the U.S. government has one of the creatures in captivity.
0: We have all that and more coming up. Stay with us.
1: new season out on spotify soon hello lover of things to go bump in the night this is dan cummins and i'm lindsey cummins and we co-host the paranormal horror podcast scared to death are shadow people real what about demonic possessions poltergeist activity. Do you believe in ghosts? Malevolent entities? or aliens real? Could you be abducted? We don't know, but what we do know is that we have over 230 episodes of stories on our podcast, Scared to Death, exploring all of the possibilities. Each week, we share several supposedly true stories that have been gathered from around the world and submissions from our own fans of allegedly true tales. Curious about the paranormal? Just like a spooky story, do you need more fear to fuel you through your long work days? Come join us. New episodes of Scared to Death are released every Tuesday night. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. We hope you end up scared to death. He's known as Bigfoot, a bipedal North American ape that looks eerily human. Iterations of his face adorn coffee mugs and T-shirts. Most sightings come from the heavily forested areas of the Pacific Northwest, although there are reports from as far away as Florida.
0: Some people have spent years of their lives trekking through dense woodlands in search of him. But no one has ever conclusively proved his existence. Somehow, he's always one step ahead of investigators.
1: Bigfoot is officially categorized as something called a cryptid. These are animals that haven't been proven to be real, but many people believe in them anyway. You've probably heard of the most famous ones, like the Loch Ness Monster and the Chupacabra, but there are dozens, if not hundreds,
0: more. Many societies all over the world have their own version of Bigfoot. For example, the Yeti, sometimes called the Abominable Snowman, is a giant ape-human hybrid that supposedly dwells in the snowy mountains of Tibet.
1: Bigfoot and the Yeti blur the line between nature and society. Myths about these creatures, sometimes called wild men, have existed since the dawn of recorded history. They've played a part in hundreds of important texts, including the Bible. The earliest wild man example is the Babylonian Epic of Gilgamesh, first written
0: around 2100 BCE. In the story, a supernaturally strong man named Enkidu is raised by animals and reluctantly rejoins civilization. Although he was sent by the gods to destroy the warrior king, Gilgamesh, the two end up becoming friends. Enkidu dies after saving Gilgamesh's life. In doing so, he sheds his identity as a wild man and becomes fully human.
1: Wild men have also appeared in numerous indigenous myths going back at least a century. In 1840, Protestant missionary Elcano Walker wrote a letter to his superiors from a remote outpost in Washington state. In it, he described a peculiar belief held by members of the Spokane tribe, the same people he was trying
0: to convert. Apparently, the locals believed that a race of giants lived in the mountains and raided Spokane villages at night. The locals knew the giants were coming by their smell and hid in their homes while the monsters roamed outside.
1: Walker thought it was all superstition, but the Spokane people he spoke to were adamant. They said the giants stole salmon from fishing nets and even kidnapped people on occasion. Some mornings after the raids, the villagers emerged from hiding to find footprints more than a foot and a half long.
0: Other indigenous communities had different versions of Bigfoot. Some described it as a hybrid of man and animal. In the densely forested Bella Coola Valley, about 300 miles northwest of Vancouver, the locals had tales of mythical wild men called box.
1: The details varied depending on who told the story. Some believed Box held supernatural powers. Others thought that killing one could bring death and misfortune on the murderer's family.
0: For the most part, indigenous myths didn't paint these creatures as evil or malicious. Sometimes they were used as kind of folkloric boogeymen to scare children into behaving. But even then, they were viewed with respect.
1: A woman from british columbia said her nation's name for bigfoot meant brother in the woods implying that the creature was more like a lost relative than an enemy
0: she saw it as a reminder of mankind's connection with the natural world of the many names the first nations had for bigfoot one might sound the most familiar sasquatch the word itself was actually a mispronunciation of the salish word sasquets which literally meant wild man.
1: Although many indigenous peoples believed these creatures were flesh and blood, some Protestant observers like Elkana Walker scoffed at the idea, but that began to change in the late 1800s.
0: Spurred on by the discovery of gold in California, settlers flocked to the west coast in search of fame and fortune. And as they did, They began to report attacks by wild animals they dubbed forest devils apes and hairy men in his 1893 book the wilderness hunter future president theodore roosevelt mentioned that a woodsman had actually been killed by these creatures
1: supposedly one of the beasts was actually captured in early july 1884 in british columbia According to the Daily Colonist, a railway engineer named Ned Austin came upon what he thought was an intoxicated person, sleeping by the railroad tracks.
0: But Ned and his coworkers soon realized it wasn't a person at all. At the sound of their approach, the four and a half foot tall gorilla-like creature got up and ran for a nearby cliff. Ned and his friends cornered the animal and knocked it unconscious.
1: Ned bound its hands and feet with rope and loaded it onto the train. He named it Jacko, possibly after the South African baboon that was famous around that time.
0: Word of Jacko's capture spread fast. By the time the train arrived at the nearest town, a crowd had already gathered to see the so-called monstrosity. But to their dismay, Ned had already dropped it off with one of his friends, who'd promised to care for it.
1: Granted that this was the first time anyone had ever found a large ape in North America, newspapers across the continent latched on to the story. A Kansas daily called the Plainville Echo recounted Jacko's discovery in great detail. Their piece finished with how happy the ape seemed in its new environment. Its favorite food was berries and fresh milk.
0: On July 11th, some 200 people visited the local jailhouse, where Jacko was reportedly being kept, hoping to catch a glimpse of the rare creature.
1: Instead, they were greeted by an exasperated man who answered some of their questions, but refused to allow anyone inside. Eventually, the spectators left empty-handed.
0: Unfortunately, no records exist to tell us what happened to Jacko. Aside from Ned and his friends, no one had actually seen it. That particular story faded until the 1950s when Sasquatch researcher John Green conducted interviews with the locals, but he found little evidence that Jacko had ever existed at all.
1: In the decades that followed, there were more encounters with similar beings, but none produced any concrete evidence. However, that didn't mean the story wasn't alive in the public's imagination. In fact, the 1920s brought a spate of incidents that revived the Sasquatch as a staple of local lore.
0: Many of these accounts were in Ape Canyon, a gorge in Washington State near Mount St. Helens. In 1918, several miners, including a man named Fred Beck, moved to the canyon in search of gold.
1: On a warm summer morning in 1922 a member of Beck's party allegedly discovered giant footprints near the creek where he was panning for gold. Soon after, the crew began hearing strange sounds, like a large stick
0: hitting against a tree. Try as they might, the men couldn't locate its source. Eventually, they went back to work. But over the next two years, they continued to find more tracks near their cabin.
1: Then, in July 1924, they reportedly heard a piercing scream cut through
0: the quiet forest. Another call quickly answered it in reply. The noises spooked the miners so much that they started carrying rifles with them to their work site. A few days later, Beck finally saw a 7-foot-tall ape standing upright about 100 yards away from him, at least according to his accounts.
1: Beck's partner Hank aimed his rifle and fired three times. The creature took off into the forest, disappearing among the trees.
0: The shots were unwarranted and would become a mistake Hank would soon regret.
1: According to Beck's self-published booklet, I Fought the Ape Men of Mount St. Helens, the Sasquatch returned with friends that evening, just before midnight. The beasts pelted the miners' cabin with rocks while the terrified prospectors fired their rifles through the walls and ceiling.
0: The assault continued for hours. At one point, the intruders reached through a hole in the wall and tried to grab an axe. Beck apparently snatched it away in the nick of time.
1: Around dawn, the Sasquatches backed off. Beck managed to kill one as it retreated and the miners fled their campsite, abandoning all of their equipment.
0: But when he returned to civilization, people didn't believe Beck's fantastical story, which may have something to do with his unusual beliefs.
1: See, Beck made other claims. About ghosts, UFOs, and other paranormal phenomena. He'd even claimed to be a psychic. When people read in his booklet that he saw visions, many dismissed him out of hand.
0: But more accounts of ape men from more reputable sources soon reached the public eye. In 1929, John W. Burns published an article in McLean's magazine that garnered considerable attention.
1: In his article, he described a race of giants called Sasquatches that were terrorizing the First Nations locals. Burns had been working as a teacher on a reservation east of Vancouver when he met a man named Peter who reportedly had a close call with one. The creature supposedly chased him away, getting so close he could feel its
0: breath. Unlike earlier descriptions, Peter recalled this animal more closely resembled a human, although it was covered with shaggy hair. It was the first account that matched modern Sasquatch descriptions.
1: The story initially caused a stir, but pretty soon, newspaper coverage dried up. While we can't say why exactly, perhaps journalists simply got tired of writing about hairy forest beasts.
0: Whatever the reason, the Sasquatch was temporarily relegated to being a local boogeyman for indigenous communities and remote parts of the Pacific Northwest.
1: But the silence wouldn't last forever. In the 1950s... Bigfoot came back in a big way. And this time, the whole world would be paying attention.
0: Coming up, Bigfoot becomes a national phenomenon. The worst serial killer, the creepiest cult, the most outrageous con? If you're a true crime fan, you've probably pondered these things. Well... Now you can get answers, or at least some passionate opinions. Every week on our podcast, Crime Countdown, my co-host Ash and I rank 10 unsettling crimes centered around a common theme, debating each case with just a hint of humor to lighten the mood. Elena and I may not be experts, and we may not always agree, but we're counting down anyway. Follow the Spotify original from ParCast, Crime Countdown. Listen free on Spotify.
1: And now, back to the story.
0: Myths about half-human, half-animal hybrids have existed for thousands of years. Many indigenous nations, particularly in the Pacific Northwest, had legends of such creatures. But it wasn't until the late 1950s that Bigfoot exploded into the public eye, all thanks to a construction worker named Jerry Crew.
1: Jerry had been hired to build a logging road through Bluff Creek, a small California town near the Oregon border. On August 27, 1958, he showed up to work and came upon 16-inch footprints in the mud near his equipment.
0: Jerry knew that no one had feet that size, but he couldn't think of any wild animal with feet like a human. At first, he thought it must have been some kind of prank, so he reported the incident to his supervisor, Wilbur Shorty Wallace.
1: Shorty wondered if Jerry's discovery was connected to another incident. He said that a drum of diesel fuel had gone missing from the worksite. The only traces the perpetrator left behind were giant
0: dusty footprints. Afterwards, Shorty told Jerry to keep working, but to be on the lookout for anything unusual. The builder dutifully did as he was told. Over the next several weeks, Jerry continued to spot giant tracks near the unfinished road.
1: His co-workers, too, suspected they were being stalked by a giant ape. When equipment was vandalized or several dogs went missing, they blamed the mysterious creature, which they
0: called Bigfoot. They began to keep their guns nearby in case the uninvited guest showed up. A number of the builders quit after deciding they weren't being paid enough to face down monsters.
1: But one fall morning was different. Jerry arrived at the construction site and found large machines tossed around like discarded toys. Whatever or whoever had created the mess had left giant footprints stamped in the dirt.
0: Yet Jerry wasn't scared. More than anything... He wanted to know what he was dealing with, and he wanted the world to know too. So he poured quick-setting plaster into the tracks and presented his evidence to the press.
1: On October 5th, Andrew Gonzoli of the Humboldt Times picked up the story and popularized the name Bigfoot. In one of his columns, he asked readers to decide for themselves whether Cruz's plaster casts were real or not.
0: At the time, the American cryptid craze was in full swing. Not only did people love to speculate about these beasts, they liked them as entertainment, too. That year, two popular movies about the now-famous Yeti were making the rounds at theaters and drive-ins, along with another film featuring a werewolf.
1: To many readers, a construction site being harassed by a hairy ape man was exactly the Hollywood fanfare they'd been craving. Over the next month, additional tracks were discovered nearby, and more stories were published in newspapers across the country.
0: The incident sparked a frenzy of amateur Bigfoot hunts. Self-proclaimed Sasquologists combed through anecdotal evidence and studied photographs of muddy footprints. Their goal wasn't just to prove Bigfoot's existence. They longed to study it and understand its behavior, anatomy, and abilities.
1: But for some people, secondhand knowledge wasn't enough. They wanted to capture one alive. And the most notorious Bigfoot hunter was a Texas oil magnate
0: named Tom Slick. Slick had been fascinated with biology since a young age and with cryptids in particular. In college, he traveled to Scotland in the hopes of seeing the Loch Ness Monster. In the 1950s, Slick's obsession was the mythical Himalayan Yeti. In
1: 1959, he turned his attention closer to home. After seeing a photo of Jerry Crew's plaster casts, Slick launched a Bigfoot hunting expedition across the Pacific Northwest. He brought a motley crew of loggers, scientists, and con men.
0: Unfortunately, Despite a genuine curiosity, Slick's expedition quickly devolved into a chaotic mess. The real scientists were sidelined and the hucksters took charge with rash ideas to lure Bigfoot into the open.
1: One of their more ridiculous plots was to cover the trees with used sanitary napkins from nearby gas station bathrooms. It's anyone's guess how exactly this stunt was supposed to work.
0: Slick personally invested hundreds of thousands of dollars for his failed expeditions and was vocal about his willingness to pay thousands more to anyone who could capture a live Bigfoot. Unfortunately, he died in 1962. As such, no one could claim the reward.
1: Still, amateur Sasquologists continued the search after his death. Although Slick's expedition didn't result in a live capture, these hunters had good reason to think that Bigfoot was out there. By that point, there wasn't a believer alive who hadn't seen something called the Patterson-Gimlin film.
0: This video is widely considered to be the clearest proof of Bigfoot's existence. It has been studied frame by frame as much as the Zabruder film of JFK's assassination. For this, we can thank rodeo cowboy Roger Patterson.
1: It all began in 1959, when Roger opened a copy of True magazine and saw an article by cryptozoologist Ivan Sanderson titled, The Strange Story of America's Abominable Snowman. With wide-eyed fascination, Roger read about the events at Bluff Creek. He decided right then and there to prove Bigfoot was real.
0: The mission became an all-consuming obsession. In 1966, he published a book about Sasquatches, including numerous firsthand accounts by supposed witnesses. Then, in autumn 1967, he heard rumors that the Bluff Creek Bigfoot was back.
1: Roger rented a movie camera and convinced his friend Bob Gimlin to help him make a documentary about Sasquatches. Then they loaded up their horses with rifles, camping gear, and two weeks worth of supplies and set
0: out for Bluff Creek. They started their search on the same logging road that Jerry Crew had helped build. On October 20th, they made their way to the creek bed, pausing now and then to search for tracks and record B-roll for the movie.
1: Suddenly their horses began to buck and rear in fright. Roger and Bob fought to control the reins. Then, out of the corner of his eye, Roger saw movement. 80 feet away, a Sasquatch stood up from behind a fallen log. It
0: stared at them. They estimated that the creature was six and a half feet tall and probably weighed around 300 pounds. It was covered in dark hair and resembled a gorilla, except that it stood upright, like a person. Its large, pendulous breast suggested it was a female. They later gave her a name, Patty.
1: Roger slid off his horse and fumbled for the camera while Bob readied his rifle. He didn't want to shoot it, but if the beast charged them, it was kill or be killed.
0: Their appearance must have spooked Patty because she began walking away in long, easy strides. Roger chased after her doing his best to keep the camera steady.
1: But the creature moved fast. With her long legs, Patty easily outpaced Roger and Bob. Less than a minute later, she disappeared into the forest.
0: Luckily, the camera was rolling the whole time. The now-famous footage clearly showed Patty looking over her shoulder and making eye contact with her pursuers. It was more perfect than anything Roger could have hoped for.
1: Roger and Bob tried to follow Patty's tracks, but after several miles, the trail went cold. With only a few hours of daylight left, they doubled back and made plaster casts of the animals' footprints. Then they returned to civilization like glorious conquerors.
0: But despite the proof they had in hand, their victory would be short-lived.
1: Coming up, Bigfoot is declared a hoax.
0: And now, back to the story. In 1958,
1: construction worker Jerry Crew unveiled some proof of Bigfoot's existence. And nine years later, it seemed like two cowboys from Washington made good on his claim. After they went searching for Sasquatches, they returned with crystal clear video footage. It was of a creature they called Patty
0: walking across a field. The film took the United States by storm. Roger Patterson and Bob Gimlin found themselves inundated with requests from newspapers all across the country. Sasquologists flocked to Bluff Creek to try and get more evidence while they could.
1: Meanwhile, Roger was eager to show the footage to academic experts who he hoped would validate his discovery. His first stop was Canada's University of British Columbia.
0: A panel of zoologists, anthropologists, and other academics studied the 59 seconds of film. But to Roger's dismay, they refused to accept it as proof of Bigfoot's existence. Without a body, they couldn't rule out the possibility that the creature in the video was just somebody posing in a gorilla suit.
1: Still, Roger didn't give up. He later accepted offers from Life and Argosy magazines to have the film reviewed by some of the top scientists in North America. One of them, primatologist Dr. John Napier, arranged to show the video to his colleagues.
0: Unfortunately, their conclusions echoed that of their Canadian counterparts. In his book, Bigfoot, The Yeti and Sasquatch in Myth and Reality, Napier writes that the creature's anatomy didn't match her movements.
1: Given Patty's size, her gait should have been very different from a person's. Yet in the video, she walked with an exaggerated stride identical to that of a large adult human. In addition, the footprints collected by Roger and Bob would have belonged to an ape much larger than the one in the video.
0: In other words, Napier believed that either the film, the footprints, or both were fake. Based on the arguments made by the scientist and his colleagues, Life magazine told Roger that they wouldn't run the story in good faith.
1: Some doubters have even speculated that the now-famous Bigfoot was created by legendary prosthetics expert John Chambers. He was famous for his work on
0: the Planet of the
1: Apes movies.
0: Chambers spent countless hours at the zoo, studying the way apes move. If anyone could have made a convincing Bigfoot costume, it would have been him. In a 1997 news article, a group of special effects artists alleged that they recognized Chambers' signature handiwork in the Patterson-Gimlin film.
1: But Chambers denied any involvement. When a reporter asked him whether he could have faked the video, he apparently said, I'm good, but not that good.
0: Of course, if he was in on the hoax, he would deny any involvement.
1: But Chambers couldn't account for the other evidence found at the scene. Sasquologist Bob Titmus visited the site on October 29, 1967, nine days after the video, and located the Sasquatch's footprints. Despite heavy rains, the deep impressions were still clearly visible. Titmus made his own plaster casts of the tracks and brought them to several experts, like anthropologist Grover Krantz
0: and Krantz agreed that the footprints could not have been faked. He reached this conclusion by measuring the casts and doing elaborate math to determine the creature's size. By reconstructing the shape of the foot that made them, he estimated that Bigfoot must have weighed close to 500 pounds.
1: If the tracks were made by someone in a suit, they would have weighed considerably less. Krantz did other calculations based on Bigfoot's body shape in the video, which supported his initial conclusion.
0: Other scholars also weighed in on the video's authenticity. One of the most ardent supporters was Dr. Jeff Meldrum, a professor of anatomy and anthropology.
1: In his book Sasquatch, Dr. Meldrum refuted the claim that the film depicts a person in an ape suit. Unlike Dr. Napier, he saw nothing unusual about the creature's gait or its bodily proportions. Which means, despite decades of scrutiny, no one has been able to conclusively prove or disprove Roger Patterson's story. Today, the video remains a flashpoint between skeptics and believers. Listeners will just have to watch it and decide for themselves.
0: However, Accusations of fraud are rampant in the Bigfoot hunting community, and potentially real sightings are often overshadowed by hoaxes. One of the most remarkable examples only came to light a few years ago, after the death of Ray Wallace. Remember that in 1958, Shorty Wallace owned the company that employed Jerry Crew. Ray was Shorty's brother and co-owner.
1: Back in 1957, Ray had been contracted to build a logging road through Bluff Creek. But by 1958, they'd only completed 10 miles of it. The slow progress was due in part to vandalism.
0: According to Ray's son, Mike Wallace, people from nearby towns would get drunk and sabotage Ray's equipment after the workers left. After a year of this, Ray came up with his own wild idea.
1: He knew that the loggers liked to swap stories about monsters for amusement. Many of their tales featured hairy giants and wild men. Ray decided to use that to scare off the
0: vandals, and he asked his friend, a seasoned prankster, for help. Ray bought a pair of wooden feet from his buddy and allegedly used them to plant the impressions that Jerry Crew found. To make the story more believable ray upended several oil barrels to make it look like the creature had thrown a tantrum
1: but the story's more complicated than it seems at first after the jerry crew story broke in october 1958 the local sheriff immediately suspected ray was behind it but ray wallace stubbornly denied the accusation since the tracks first started appearing that summer he'd lost over 15 workers He argued that he might joke around a little, but he wasn't foolish enough to sabotage his own business.
0: However, Ray's newfound fame only exacerbated his need for attention. In the years that followed, his Sasquatch stories only grew more elaborate. He claimed to have seen Bigfoot thousands of times and even knew its favorite cereal, Kellogg's Frosted Flakes. At one point,
1: Ray even declared that he'd caught one alive and offered to sell it for $1 million. When oil millionaire Tom Slick heard about this, that prompted him to make the counteroffer of several thousand dollars. Supposedly overcome by remorse, Ray released the ape back into the wild before the deal could be finalized.
0: It was a very convenient change of heart.
1: Even hardcore believers began to harbor doubts especially when Ray told reporters that Sasquatches were guarding caches of gold in underground caves. If anything, he seemed more intent on making a career out of the byproducts of this lore. Ray sold photos, recordings, and even hair supposedly belonging to Bigfoot.
0: Ray died in 2002, at the age of 84. As his family cleared out his cluttered basement, they came upon a sack filled with large, carved wooden feet. After some discussion, they decided to tell the world. The media coverage that followed dealt a heavy blow to Sasquatch believers. One of the most iconic Bigfoot stories, second only to the Patterson-Gimlin film, was revealed to be a hoax.
1: Of course, Sasqualogists refused to let that be the last word. Some accused the Wallace family of deceit, while others tried to determine if any of his so-called evidence was genuine.
0: Oddly, an unlikely supporter of Ray Wallace was anthropologist Dr. Jeff Meldrum. In his book, Sasquatch, Meldrum acknowledged that many of Ray's later sightings were fake. But more importantly... He disputed that the tracks found by Jerry Crew could have been made by wooden feet.
1: Meldrum pointed out that none of the feet found in Ray's basement matched the initial Bluff Creek prints.
0: Meldrum is no slouch when it comes to Sasquatch footprints. He claims to have personally seen Bigfoot tracks and keeps plaster molds in his office. And he's not the only one. Hundreds of people have photographed similar impressions, including in some very remote locations. Even if the ones in Bluff Creek were Ray Wallace's invention, there's no way he was responsible for all of them.
1: So without any definitive proof that he doesn't exist, the legend of Sasquatch lives on. The Bigfoot Field Researchers Organization, an online group of Bigfoot sleuthers, reports dozens of sightings every year. Some incidents had multiple witnesses or even audiovisual
0: evidence to back up their claims. Some notable people have weighed in on the controversy. Even famous primatologist Dr. Jane Goodall has said she thinks it's likely that Sasquatches exist. A recent survey indicated that over 1 in 10 Americans believe the creatures are out there. But if they are real, we have to wonder why no one has ever caught one.
1: Maybe it's because they're in hiding. We'll take a closer look at that evidence next time when we dive into conspiracy theory number one. Sasquatches are real primates, smart enough to avoid being
0: seen or
1: caught by humans.
0: Conspiracy theory number two is that Bigfoot isn't an ape at all, but rather a supernatural or extraterrestrial being. However, like all aliens, authorities want their existence to stay a secret.
1: And finally, conspiracy theory number three. The U.S. government has actually captured a Bigfoot and may be keeping it in captivity.
0: Wild men, yetis, and sasquatches. To some, these are urban legends or folklore. To others, they're a lifelong calling. Whatever your view, one thing is certain. The wild man of the forest will haunt mankind's imagination forever.
1: Thanks for tuning in to Conspiracy Theories. We'll be back next time with more unbelievable stories about Bigfoot. For more information on Sasquatch, amongst the many sources we used, we found In the Valleys of the Noble Beyond by John Zada, helpful to our research. You can find all episodes of Conspiracy Theories and all other Spotify originals from PowerCast for free on Spotify.
0: Until then, remember, the truth isn't always the best story.
1: And the official story isn't always the truth.
0: Conspiracy Theories is a Spotify original from ParCast. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler. Sound design by Nick Johnson, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Freddie Beckley. This episode of Conspiracy Theories was written by Xander Bernstein, with writing assistance by Angela Jorgensen and Mackenzie Moore. Fact-checking by Anya Barely and research by Bradley Klein. Conspiracy Theories stars Molly Brandenburg and Carter Roy.